You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Welcome back, everyone. We're here for round two of Mac's early life. We've got the heat on. It's winter now. I am exhausted. It's actually fall, but it's cold. Oh, it feels like winter. Yeah. Whatever. It's all one big thing to me. It's a continuum of climate weirdness because it was hot and we were in New York. So we just got back from New York. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. So I was sick for like a month with some strange hacking cough that prevented us from recording. And then we've been really busy. We um, we did an Echo and the Bunnymen cover band. We sure did. It was very exciting. Echo of the Bunnymen. That's right. That name's been used before by people. You know. Not as good as our band. <laughs> we played on Halloween at the Mothlight in Asheville, North Carolina with uh. a Doors cover band. The Clash. The Clash. So they all went together in a way. And Dinosaur Jr. But cover Dino- band. Yeah, I don't know where that Dinosaur Jr. fits They were like in. the 20-year-olds. Okay. And we were the 40-year-olds. Right. Anyway. But y'all are probably in your 50s because that's kind of the <laughs> Echo and the Bunnyman demographic. Oh, no, no. It's like there are teenagers. I have some, um, there are some teenage fans that I've come across because they're having a resurgence that I wasn't really aware of, and I didn't really know that was about to happen when I decided to do this podcast. I didn't, you know, just because I'm like a mom, and like, this is my little interest, but now I realize that they're coming out with a new, they just came out with a new album, and um, releasing new singles. They're on tour right now. You may still be able to get tickets if you're listening to this, and um, I didn't realize I'm gonna, I was gonna have to present news and updates every podcast you know i thought this was going to be our little outpost a little retrospective yeah I just but you know what they're putting out new stuff and like young people are checking them out but are they checking out the new stuff aren't they like just like oh this band they're on tour and then they listen to their old stuff like you know what i mean that's a good question maybe that's maybe true because i hear them talking about a lot of old cure albums so yeah maybe it's the older stuff but i don't know but they just charted um number six in the uk with the new album so oh that's cool i know i mean i can't believe i know that they're kind of like hovering like there for their whole career (laughs) well well they probably like disappeared for a while maybe yeah but even like when they were in their prime it was like Number six on the UK yeah, charts. Not even sometimes, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I don't really pay attention to anything with numbers, like you know, sports scores, all that stuff. I don't the really pay attention to pitchfork media right. reviews. And, oh God, oh God, don't even. We already talked about that earlier tonight when we were eating dinner. But I just like, I can't, um, I can't with that kind of stuff. But I have to. I'm gonna have to talk about. You know, I can't hold it in my head. I can't remember. You know, what the car, the cutter charted at. I can't remember that kind of stuff so let's just set let's let everybody know who we are what the what's happening all right so we are two parents of the same child of the same child we share 
many genes with her. Half of her genes are from me, and half of them are from me. That's right. So she's upstairs sleeping. We put her to bed, and then we come down here, and tonight, what is it, like 8, 11, 50. Jesus. So we're really tired, and it's really late, and we're here to do our tired, late Echo and the Bunnymen podcast. It's late for us parents. We used to stay up till 4 or 5 in the morning. Yeah, it was regular. 4 to 11. I mean, yeah. that was my time. But now it's just different. And um, But we're here. We're back for round two. But before we get into the episode, I want to just, I always like to, to set the scene. So I, we put our daughter to bed. And then I come downstairs into my husband's studio and take it over and... Make him talk about Echo and the Bunnymen. That's right. For usually like two hours straight. Yep. And so I like to know, what were you working on this evening when I came on in? And I was working on some uh, Estudios by Fernando Sor, the Spanish Baroque classical guitarist. Um, really just getting a bunch of material together. I'm about to play a weekend of classical guitar gigs at the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, where I will entertain walkers by passers-by who are touring the grounds touring the grounds in the kind of you know christmas spirit really it's a christmas theme and it's funny because shane's jewish i'm jewish (laughs) playing the christmas theme music but uh you're secular i mean um, we'll be be honest you're not like you um, can say i'm not observing anything but you can speak hebrew a little I mean, I learned, I had a bar mitzvah when I was a kid. You know the word shmeckel, which is a Hebrew word. I mean. It's a Yiddish word. I know a lot more than that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. It's scary times being a Jew in the United States of America, though, let me tell you. Yeah. So you didn't know it was real. I was kind of like. The anti-Semitism. I was like, oh, I'll I'll always say something like, I I think they're a little anti-Semitic. And Cordy's like, no. And I was like, no, oh, I have I have a radar for these things. No, they're not. And all of us, we all just come together. We love one. the Jews. <laughs> I was like, no, I think there was a little shade of anti-Semitism going on. But now it's, it's all out in the open because people are getting killed. Yeah. And uh, the news has been rough. It's been, I mean, we've been sick. We've been grieving. And... Um, Wondering what is the purpose of spending so much time talking about things like music and bands in the face of everything that's, that's the happening. only purpose, though. That's the only right, right? That's I mean, is it only merely escapism or does it does it have any function? Well, I mean, it's a uh, we're human, so I guess we're gonna just keep on. It's that light, you know, that's shining through the darkness, uh, regardless of. Silly things that we do as humans, as a species. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not gonna, this is not a news show. No, it's we're not a news show. We're probably gonna have to edit all this out, but who knows? Um, so, with so that, that nice, now that we bummed y'all out, let's yeah. talk about Ian McCulloch's <laughs> childhood. Day. We talked about his grade school years, we talked about his parents, we talked about his dad's factory job, we talked about uh, we talked about his, his eye exams. So, and how, so yeah, we we covered. Um, the fact that he had really poor eyesight we and really didn't want to wear glasses and would stand in line at the eye exam and memorize what people were saying on the last line. And, yeah. And uh, 
yeah, we covered all that. Good, good job summing that up. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? I want to say that his, neither of his parents drank. I, thought, I think that's kind of interesting. I forgot to say that last time. But his dad gambled. But his dad had a gambling issue that was, you know, sometimes... We don't want to harp on it, though. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's okay. I like to, you know, pick a number. And Red or black. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we don't know his game. I don't, what was his game? Was we don't dogs? know. I'm a, I don't know. Horses? We don't know. We that's don't know. That's where the dancing horses came from. Is the song the Dancing Horses? That is a song about dressage. It is not okay, but it's a mysterious song. There's a little bit of speculation that even Ian even McCulloch doesn't quite know what it's about. It's really intense though. Have you listened to the lyrics? No, it's a fucked up. Song. I missed that song. You know, and, and I saw him play it in concert, and that's kind of the only time I ever listened to it on purpose was in July <laughs> of this year I saw them in concert play that song and right. it seemed to be like a, one's pe- a song people knew I guess it was the Pretty in Pink soundtrack they saw song. that movie when they were right. in, like in the 80s or whatever I missed that one yes of the, we talked about this earlier Be- previous episode as well beautiful song I'm gonna go listen to it again So yeah, we've been sick and tired, but that's kind of fitting because, um, you know, there are some kind of sadder aspects to this episode. Um, Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. um, I don't know any other way to put it. So as we said, Ian, a pretty average kid, um, I would say he's fairly sensitive and prone to tears and the like, but grew up in a household that was loving and, and well thought of. So yeah, so he's really into soccer. We talk about that. He was Did really, we talk about soccer? We talked about it. Like his dad, his dad, I think I kind of insinuated that his dad was like, like on a team or something. He wasn't on a team. He just was like a really promising, like talented soccer player who would have liked to have had a career in that. But then he was sent off to the war. His dad. His dad. Uh-huh. Um, we talked briefly about how his mother, um, this was her second marriage. She lost a child when the child was 19, um, and that was very sad. Um, and we talked about maybe that Ian's brother was did really well in school. They shared a room together. They liked to make each other laugh growing up. Everything seems to just be kind of going along. He's just living his life, just, just doing well. And then some sort of strange things begin to happen. And um, here's what I know from what uh, has been collected from recent interviews, because he didn't talk about this early on, but he began to have what he refers to as like these compulsions. Um, It began with washing hands. Like he started washing his hands really thoroughly. And then he felt that he needed to touch solid objects in a room. And this became a very ritualized event of having to touch every object, the walls, the doors, the floor, the tables. Uh. Um, Everything had to be, I think, he had to make physical contact with everything. And he would like to have touched the ceiling, but could not reach it. Um, in order to walk through the door 
of his room and exit it. And that's he, very, uh, that's difficult. So he had like OCD? Yes. And he, so, you know, we have the DSM in America that um, sort of categorizes mental illnesses and um, it can be incredibly disempowering for many people to have, you know, to be assigned these labels. But he has referred to his um, his cluster as sim- of symptoms as being obsessive compulsive disorder. He says himself that he's seen television programs and specials. I think he said Oprah. He saw a special once, and there was a kid who was really struggling, and he was like, "Oh my God, I'm so much worse off than this kid." I was in a band with a guy once who, whenever he like exited his car, had to like turn the key and like five or six times and knock on the window of the car. It would be like this thing where he'd go back and forth between like turn the key, knock on the window, like turn the key, knock, 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 turn the key, knock, knock. It was, right. And it was this very rapid kind of thing that he just like had to go through to make sure that the door was locked and the window was closed. Right. Like so no one would break into his car or something, but it was also like. I remember watching him. I was like, "What are you doing?" Right. You know. And, yeah. Uh, and he was just, "Oh, I just gotta make sure that the door's locked and the yeah. window's closed." You know? Totally. And he had to be did it. Would do it like like six times in a row, really six fast. Six times, yeah. really fast. Yes. Yeah. And some, yeah, and and speed can be a part of this um, of the ritual. Like, you know, um, I had so I work um, in a mental health facility, and I have friends who have um, been given this diagnosis. And and by the way, it's a thing that gets thrown around like, oh my God, I'm so OCD, I can't do this such and such. And that's kind of offensive um, because it's, you know, a real... Debilitating kind of Well, yeah, thing. it can be. I mean, it's something that they identify with. And, um, and I certainly, I mean, it's funny because it, it runs a spectrum. Like, I know many, many more people who don't, who have not receive that diagnosis and maybe like your friend who have some of these behaviors and rituals that they perform and but it doesn't really get in their way so it's kind of okay and there's also a thing that happens like these behaviors come and go so I just want to say that like in my my own words my own opinion you know what we think of as mental illnesses or mental health challenges can be an adaptation of sorts And, you know, whether these behaviors are organizing around a set of genes that are, like, ignited by an environmental stimulus or or whatever is bringing them on, I think that they are important and valuable. I think that from an evolutionary perspective, we like to have a lot of variety in the human species. And 10% of people across the globe are diagnosed with schizophrenia. That seems high to me. Right, yeah. I think that's right, though. 10%? No, no, no. Maybe you're right. You're right. Okay. (laughs) No way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. What is it? It's like 1% or something? Yeah, there's not. It ain't 10%. There's no way it's 10%. 1%? That would be like. Let me look that up. All right. We're going to get the phone. Because how often do you run into someone? Percentage. I should know this, though. Of people. No, look at this. Oh, 1% of the population. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so like 1% of the population across the board has this these sets of behaviors that we have just clustered together but and we the, call it schizophrenia. Right, but there's degrees of within that 1% probably? Of course, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's just so much human variation, and that's the thing about mental illness, that it can be really 
um, that we can really fluid. lump people together and it's very fluid. And it's really, I mean, I kind of think these are kind of unique gifts, you know, and that they're adaptive in some way often and they're to be honored. So, you know, I don't think that you can separate someone from their experience and their set of behaviors. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I do think that this period of time in his life, I mean, which really continued off and on throughout, I think, his life, is incredibly difficult. I mean, I think that he he has expressed that this was a very painful period. I don't think his parents understood what was happening, and certainly not his doctors. He had a, had trouble articulating what was happening to him and why, why he couldn't exit a doorway. Um, hmm. He was very afraid of being sent to an all-boys school because of this anxiety. And, you know... Before I learned more about this diagnosis, I felt like it was kind of, you know, a boring one. Like, ah, oh, God, you're you're a perfectionist, and you have to just clean your house really well or something. These are my dumb thoughts, you know, as a teenager or whatever. But it's really um, can be really wrapped up in a sort of magical thinking. Not always, but it can be. You know, everything is at, at stake. It's not like, hmm, I just really want the house to be clean, you know? Yeah. It can be like, if I don't put this here, my father will die. My mother will be hurt. Oh. Something terrible will happen. It is so crucial that I do this work of touching everything in the room. And if I don't, everything is at stake. So for him, it was about touching objects, and it was also, and I think this, I think this plays into his lyric writing abilities. Yeah, I was gonna. That's what I was just thinking about. Is like, just as far as literature, you know, like what exposure he had. Like, why are the the lyrics are so good, but they seem to like speak to that experience. I was thinking about the puppet. Yes. Right. What's that line? Frankly, I could do a whole episode or several about the puppet itself, but I do think that that is, yeah, that is a song to me that as a child I really identified with, but I didn't know why. And I certainly had a lot of anxiety and depression and a feeling of inanimate objects having life, so that for me that was what it was about. But I do, like upon further review at the age of 40 rather than age 12, I think it was completely about having to perform these rituals. Right. Um, You knew about this. Maybe he's speaking to his parents Mm -hmm. or a family member um, that, you know, and also this feeling that the puppet is like feeling, this feeling of being controlled by forces that are beyond Beyond you. Yeah, it's like making you do things. Yes, and the trampoline... You know, maybe he'd like to touch the ceiling because he mentions that in interviews. Like, I would have touched the ceiling if I could have, but I could. And I think about that, like, maybe he wanted to be able to. Ceiling has come down, you know, the ache in his back, these somatic kind of feelings. And I always. Tells you something's gone wrong. Yeah. And then it's. 
Yeah, Curtin will find out what he has done. Yep. And I think that there's also more to the story because, you know, you can have these. It's like an anthropomorphizing of objects. Yeah, like. um... Trampoline's broken, ceiling has come down. The ache in my back tells me something's gone wrong. Rocking horse rocks as the wallpaper peels. There's something really disturbing about those lyrics. Very. And, I think and when also we, were play, we really, played it at yeah. our cover band, and I think everyone was like, what is he saying? And then everyone would get really... Like, Jesus. In rehearsal when they find Damn. out what the lyrics were. Yeah. yeah, even though they're very absurd. And these are the lyrics that he refers to as being cringeworthy. Like, he doesn't like this these lyrics. They're kind. Of, he doesn't think the song is that great. To me, this is my favorite song by Echo and the Bunnymen. The and Yep. And my favorite song. Queen. No. The Puppet. Play that one at my funeral. Okay. It's my favorite song of all time by any band Is ever. the Puppet? Is the Puppet. That's my favorite. You knew about this. And then it has these very grand sort of like anthemic where the salt of the earth, which kind of is, they, they almost don't fit with this highly personal. It's just like this. Perfect concision and imagery. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's that whole thing of just channeling the forces. Yeah. Just tapping in. He just tapped in, and there it was. And then he's like, I don't like it. Uh. Yeah, and I think, you know, when There's a lyric... There's a pure expression of the divine uh, force of the universe. And, yeah. and also I don't really like those lyrics. And a pure expression, what I think of, like, his painful childhood experience, which to me uh, is so universal. Just to be dismissive of that. Maybe. I think so. That's what I think. I think that when you... Oh, the lyrics are making you cringe. Not because he doesn't like them, but because they brings so, up painful memories. That's what... Well, that, I think Oh, that's a better... Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think he thinks maybe he's saying that they're cringeworthy because he didn't like them, but I think it's because they are incredibly personal. Now, this is all, you know, this is the tale we're spinning um, of, you know, what was happening. So, you know, you all, you all read the lyrics and write in. Let us know what you think. The puppet, as heard on the album. No, nah, it was a single. It was a single that was standalone, not on an album. Standalone. But, yeah, but it appears on... Um, songs songs to, learn to learn and sing. sing. See, Shane's really sets. learning. He knew <laughs> nothing, and now he knows so many now things. I know so many things about Echo You're just the, the teacher. Man. The student has become the teacher. I don't know about that, but, uh, so, but teaching was, is learning, and uh, I'm learning. learning while I teach. That's right. You teach. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So. So that was, that's it. Next week, we're going to talk. Oh, so. Just kidding. So, <laughs> uh-huh. We're, what time is it now? We're 30 minutes in all almost. Right, all right, we'll edit some of this, so maybe it'll be short for you guys. So listen, another thing that one of his rituals, and this is what I was going to say about lyric writing, okay. is that, and I, you know, I have a friend who does this very thing, and she is also a writer, a very gifted writer, so I think that's kind of interesting. But when people would say a sentence... It had to fit into 
uh, oh. 10 words. And he would have to change the sentence in his head to make it fit to 10. And oh. I think it had to do with tapping his finger. My, for my friend, it's tapping her fingers okay. to the certain rhythm. Your friend. We're not Meaning you. Okay. No, no, it's nope. not me. Oh, okay. No, I also tap, but yeah. I don't tap in a rhythm. Okay. I got okay, this friend everyone. who taps. No, listen, I tap. I, I. This is my weird thing. This is my, I mean, no one's going to diagnose me. I mean, no, anything, no, but it is Because it's just annoying. It just annoys people it that I live with. It doesn't annoy me at all. I think it's the cutest thing. It's so special. Yeah, you know, I mean... It's it's just it doesn't bother anyone, so it's not gonna get. I'm not gonna get stamped with a diagnosis. When Courtney reads a book, she likes to kind of like I have to. It's not I like. You to. still do that? I have to tap on the page. Yeah, you can see because we don't we don't, we don't get to read around each other days, anymore now that we're parents. I know so. turquoise days. You can see like I have to fold the paper a certain way and then tap it in a certain <laughs> while you read. Yeah. it's like a rhythmic kind of. So I can't read on the internet. I read things for this for this. You know, podcasts on the internet, none of it sticks because I'm not able to tap on a page. You need to tap. It's like it's like you're Morse coding it to yourself. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. So there, I mean, everybody, it's you know, people have interesting things. I mean, they think that the the whole you know the the cluster of behaviors that you know make up OCD yeah. were really adaptive at some point. Like mm. you really needed to check. Just make sure the fire. Somebody in you know the, yeah. the little group of people that we lived in lived with. It was helpful. Uh, yeah, it to was, be like it was adaptive, uh, aware, yes. or uh, vigilant. Yeah, you were saying though that the sentence structures perhaps helped him in terms of formalism, like this OCD kind of directed perhaps um, desire or need to 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 like make a sentence fit a certain structure. And iambic, when someone says it, what's it called? Iambic pentameter. Yeah, that was corrected for me earlier today by uh, Chris Adams. Shout out. Uh, I am, say it again. It's a Shakespearean. Iambic pentameter. Okay. It's a, it I believe I say, I'm saying that right. I, I think, it's a poetic form. Okay. Is right? it Shakespearean? Is it a British? I think he used it. People use it. I don't know. Okay. Well, listen, well, right. Chris Adams. Yeah. Courtney had a long phone call today with... Chris Adams, who wrote the book, Turquoise Days. Turquoise Days. That's where we're at in this podcast. Is He's... we're talking to the biographer <laughs> of the band. We are so grateful to him. He was so generous with his time and so helpful. And he may he might visit the podcast. He may visit the podcast. So anyway, <laughs> he so he would use I. Uh, Iambic pentameter. Iambic. This is a word I guess I never said. I've read it, but I've never said it. Iambic pentameter. I might be saying it wrong. So he would make the sentence fit into the structure mm. and reconfigure it. So that would really be helpful if you were writing lyrics and they had to fit within a song structure Yeah. to readily be able to do that and have that sense of rhythm it's a very kind of musical and then he just delivers it in this sultry way but it you know it comes sometimes it, it comes with a price because i'm gonna just say in this tale we're spinning that he was really suffering during this period and i would also say that you know you can have a sort of genetic predisposition to these behaviors but if you, you know, and some of it can be your environment. Like if you're surrounded by a lot of sadness and 
um, strife. If you grow up in a, in a, you know, a toxic culture or a culture that doesn't really recognize the gifts of the individuals or is oppressive right. in some way, and you are sensitive, you are going to be a conduit for this pain yeah. in some way. And maybe even in your family system, there may be some painful things that no one else is picking up on this. Mm-hmm. The sensitive children sometimes do. Yeah. So we, you know, can't really say what brought on these rituals that I believe caused him to suffer a great deal at the, that age. So and then he didn't talk when, about what, it until later. a teenager? Well, it started when he was either five or 10. I've heard both. Oh. And it continued on. I mean, and it would, it would really get, I mean, there were times he could not get on stage because he was pacing a hallway. Like Thelonious Monk, man. I think he had to be institutionalized. Tell us about Thelonious Monk, jazz pianist, I mean, for those of you who don't know. I think he was, um, I mean, I'm sure he was happy. He was living a creative life. And he had, I, I, but I just think, you know, it, it, it was a completely impaired kind of uh, situation at yeah. times. But the thing is, I, what you said just reminded me of watching the documentary Straight Note Chaser mm-hmm. um, about Thelonious Monk, yeah. one of the best jazz documentaries ever made. Definitely. Thanks to Glenn Eastwood. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a douche, but, you know, he made a really... He, he's a big jazz <laughs> fan. It's amazing. Jazz is a weird realm of, like... But I guess any musical world... I'm always amazed when people in music are, like, really conservative or something. Does, yeah. um, it just seems, like, not to make sense. But well, takes all kinds to make a world, you know? Anyway, so Thelonious Smoke, he would, like, do a lot of pacing and a lot of kind of... Spinning. But also kind of a lot of you know, mumbling and stuff. But he was pretty mumbly in those interviews in the drunk 90s and early 20-aughts. You know, he's, <laughs> he's pretty uh, incoherent. I feel like he's more coherent now. It is easier to understand him. I don't know if somebody was like, listen... People in Maybe America you got a vocal coach cannot or understand. Well, I feel like people are like, listen, man, people don't understand what you're saying. But or maybe I've just gotten better at understanding him. It's like, what am I? That's some kind maybe, of you're speaking the yeah. same language. Like, why can't I understand We've him? Acclimated. He'll talk, and I'll be like, oh man, uh, let me replay that because I don't understand what you're saying. Those are the Marcy fucking assholes. <laughs> that is uh, priceless. There's a transcription you can look up. Um, Ian McCulloch talking about Morrissey, and it is. It is good. It's, it's rich. Good. And everyone loves to hate Morrissey. So do, do they? Everyone loves to love him, it seems like. I'm so I don't know. I, I Oh, are we gonna get in already at the early in this early in the in the people, season people or are we gonna start talking shit about Morrissey? We're gonna lose listeners. I, you know, I, I loved the Smiths growing up. I think I that love that was, the Smiths. I mean, they just really I think were groundbreaking. Johnny Mars, badass, but dude, I mean, do you wanna who want raise your hand if you wanna go hang out with Morrissey? That's can what any, I thought. Yep. Yeah, can anyone Nobody say that they that, do? Yeah. No. God, all right. So, let's get back to it. So, it is a lot of work and a lot of pressure to carry out these um, self-imposed rituals that sometimes seem like divinely imposed. And it sets you apart from others. It makes it hard to leave the house. And um, just the searing anxiety that he talked about struggling with at this age. He said that's part of the reason he wanted to be cool is so that he could, you know, at least so he could sort of embody a sense of calm and peace, you know? Well, he's cool. Yep. And the thing is, 
Um, I'm just makes me curious about is this like a is it like chemical or where do these things come from? You know, how do people end up with that? Because it's not we talked about his family life and it seems like things were pretty pretty stable and he was in just kind of jovial funny old liverpool and mm-hmm. everything seems all right so to have but then you're seem to be making the point and i think it's a good one that there is some kind of like experience of pain and trauma and perhaps like initiation that enabled him to become a conduit for um people's pain and for you know just kind of a darker mm-hmm. sort of um subject matter uh that he's presenting absolutely in, in the music which is you know that's the best stuff right uh, the stuff that's about sad things that makes you feel good to listen to right, right because you feel less alone yeah like when i was listening to the puppet as a kid i was like this yeah but where did that come from is it you know cause like, that, the Ill- like the because that seems like that's enough then to make him feel different and separate he and, did feel and different alone and, yep. and kind of and then to, to have and i think sometimes stuff it's to, to even, have these things to talk about you know and i think it can be even lonelier and even sadder when you're growing up in a household that denies mm. this type of sad this sadness and so he, he was misattuned to. I, I believe he was. I mean, I think his parents understood and at least recognized that he was sensitive um, and had lowered expectations of him as a result. Like, they will just say straight up, um, I did not think that he could do this. We were shocked to find him be a lead singer of a band because he seemed to have, I think his mother, I think his mother um, called it an inferiority complex. Like, he was just... I mean, the last thing it seemed he would be capable of is being a front man for a band. And I love those kind of heroes that are unexpected and the underdogs, you know, right. that aren't just, you know, don't have it laid out on a silver platter. I think he was a little shocked, too, at his destiny because, you know, all of this was really painful. But but wait, do you hear it? It's going to be OK because... Do you hear that magical sound coming? Wow. Yeah, from be the from outer oh, space almost. Wow. Yeah, it's like a spaceship is arriving oh my God. in the midst of Liverpool and There's a star waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks So, one night, a little, I think it was like a day after his birthday or a little after his birthday, Ian McCulloch's sitting on the couch with his, with his, I think he's alone, maybe he's with his mom, and they're just watching Top of the Pops, just another night of some crappy band on Top of the Pops. On the BBC. On the BBC. Yeah, and just like, he's watching a rerun, and suddenly... Something happens that changes his world forever. He hears David Bowie performing Starman. And that moment, I think we all maybe have a cluster, one or a cluster of musical moments that completely alter our brain chemistry and the trajectory of our life forever. And this was the moment for him. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. So, there no, are not some, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There, some people do not give two 
hoots about music. I mean, they just could. Some people do not care in the least about music. They don't seem to feel it. But those of us who are music lovers, you know you had that moment or a few where you were completely changed forever by a song. And, you know, there's a little bit, there's a bit of a hallucinatory sort of element to Ian McCulloch and his, you know, his experience of the world. Like I said earlier, it's kind of a dissociative tendency, um, which is probably a survival adaptation, you know, in some ways. Um, he felt like he was not in his body um, in Turquoise Days, Chris Adams quotes him. He says, I was a ghost, and when I think about my early life, I was never in it, uh, never in my body. I was so immobile in expression, I withdrew. But this all changed a bit when he had his experience of seeing David Bowie. Uh, he said it changed his life completely, and he'd never really even liked music, but now. He was put in touch with something ethereal. It was like a destiny. It wasn't just the music. It was the entire lifestyle. It was the, the appearance of Bowie. It was like a signpost to him of what he could become. And um, it separated him from his parents, his brother, and his sister, and put him into this different world. And he says, it was the most incredible feeling that I've ever felt in my life. I'd just be walking down the street and I'd have these split-second things, almost like astral projection, like seeing the light where I'd want to hold the moment. I've been in love and it's not the same as that, and I know I'll never feel like that again. It is weird because the way that music makes you feel, you know, Rumi has tried to express it, many people have over the ages, but it's like, it's, it's like being in love, but not quite. There's something, I don't know. I don't know what the hell it is either, man. It's just incredible, though. It is. It's really... I mean... I mean, just imaginal realms, you know? You can really... I'll never forget the first time I heard Echo and the Bunnymen and the Puppet. It was like a spiritual, a spiritual experience. It was like his first one. Um, Starman. And here's something else he said. This is from Never Stop by Tony Fletcher. Um, He said... He used to have this thing about watching the television, and he'd always have the lights off. And then when Bowie came on, the telly would just get really big and yet further away. It was scary. There'd be noise going on, but that would all just fade away. And so when I mentioned it to my mom, she said, do you need to see a doctor? Do you need to see a doctor? (laughs) But he used to enjoy it. So yeah, that's some that's like some psychedelic uh yeah. There's some psychedelic stuff happening. But, but that's a yeah, and, and and spiritual and I feel like I had those kind of experiences as a kid too. Definitely. I did too. I mean, visions, music would kind of like lead mm-hmm. to cuz I'm kind of a visual person, would really lead to kind of visionary experiences like time bending. I felt like I could access past lives. I mean, I know this sounds pretty wild, but like this is really the power of music, it is mystical, yeah, inexpressible, and it, I, you know, again, connects us with the beyond. And there's his destiny laid out before him. But what's he going to do? He's shy. He has, you know, some issues getting through doorways. How's he going to get? He's going to wear sunglasses. <laughs> and... But not for a while. What's he going to do? Here's a guy. He's really pretty shy. He can't see shit. 
you know, he has trouble sometimes leaving the house and he has, it's a lot of work. And some of the, his like, you know, personality traits that people talk about being annoying, like fixing his hair all the time and being lazy. Compulsions are exhausting. Good for him. They make you tired. You need a nap. Like you are so tired. People need to relax anyway. It's a good role model. Someone who's just like going to chill out. Yeah. Go to sleep. Yeah. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. T- take Sit care at the of yourself. Pub, watch a soccer game. Yeah. Talk to people. Do He's karaoke not... like in that movie. Oh, I don't know if that was karaoke. He, in Never Walk Alone, he's doing karaoke to his own songs. Is he doing karaoke to his own songs? For please, sure. listener, please let us know if that is really what's happening. He's not doing karaoke to his yeah, own songs. Yeah, he's like going to bars. He's got a band behind no, him. No, he doesn't. He's just kind of, it's like he's in between. He's not really in the band anymore. It's the early 90s. He's doing and solo then he's stuff. Like doing solo stuff, but then he's but he just, he's just, to hang it's out. like La Dolce Vida. Like, you just like going, like, it's like endless <laughs> night. And he's like, I'm gonna get up there and do karaoke with everyone else, but these are gonna. And I'm it's just, gorgeous. But I'm, it's but just, I'm just like, gonna do my own songs. <laughs> I don't think you. Well, let us know if if you have any. Insight. Watch, you'll never walk alone. I'm gonna just ask the Bunnymen group on Facebook, and they'll they'll know. Is that karaoke? Is he it's doing getting karaoke? It's getting esoteric. You, there's a couple people on there that would probably be interested to talk about that for sure, though. I know. I mean, it, well, right now there's a big discussion about Bono. So you can tune in. So yeah, I'm not really on Facebook much, but um, I'm back on it because of the Echo the and the Bunnymen group. Dis- group. Yeah, but then, but Echo and the Bunnymen to the Rock Hall is incredible and life changing, and I'll talk about it more in the next episode. All right. So the first thing that Ian's going to have to do to fulfill his destiny is learn how to sing. So la, 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 la. he's going to have to do some arpeggios, but I feel like what he's going to do is sing along to some Bowie songs, which probably fit his range at age 13, but which I think his voice is a lot deeper than David Bowie's. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, he's going to have to learn how to sing, but here's the thing. He lives in a very small house and he's got two siblings, a younger sister an older brother, two parents, and he's very shy. So this is a segment we're going to end the episode with called Big Guy, Small House. Story of my life. And that's the story of your life. So you can really speak to this. So, so tell me, Shane, what's it like to be a big guy in a small house? And how would you have ever learned to sing? Tell us about your experiences. Well... I um, am still learning to sing. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, when did you start? I started learning to sing in earnest uh, two or three years ago, probably. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I'm 40, so I, I was probably 38 or so. Started getting serious about it. Because I used to think that uh, just some people could sing and some people can't. Now, there is a lot of truth to that. Right. But then there's also this thing of like the voice being an instrument and uh, just, you know, there's technical and, um, you know, physiological things that need to be understood and uh, exercised. Right. Mechanics is basically what I'm saying. The mechanics of breath control, diaphragm use. When I was in school, I tried to be in theater and I could never be in theater because they said that 
you can't project. You could probably tell in this podcast too, I'm the mumbly one. Like you know how to do the breath like straight into the, you know, the audience's ears, you know, pushing it out through the stomach. Well, I don't know how to do that. Anyway, uh, it's been weird because we've had roommates and whatnot. And I just, um, and one of the things about learning to sing that's that's tricky too is that a lot of it's psychological and there's a lot of self-consciousness and like inhibition that uh, kind of prevent you from using your diaphragm and pushing breath out in a way that would most be beneficial to finding your voice. Well, like, tell me about your house and your living situation growing up. Currently? Oh, when I grew up. Um, I grew up in a small townhouse in South Florida. I had two sisters. I had a, a stepfather and um, a mother. And um, what would have been what would it have been like to have practiced singing in that house? Do you think? I mean, I think it would have been I would have been heard. Not only did we have people living on top of me, but it was a townhouse, so it, that means the house is attached to the next house on either side. So it's like a row of houses, and so you know, similar you, to Ian's. Yeah, you could situation. hear the you could hear the neighbors. You know. Yeah. Just talking or watching TV or playing Nintendo through the walls. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it would have been um, difficult. And it's interesting, yeah, similar to Ian's situation in that, let's say, what if like the parents realized, oh, our son has a natural inclination to want to sing. Maybe we get him a vocal coach and make an environment that encourages, uh, you know, the development of his... Um, talent or at least his his interest you know that that might have made a difference then you, it would just be normalized and you would just do it um so yeah it would, uh, i guess uh it would have been hard but good good on ian you know well i mean i think he did it okay here's the thing that i find strange when you hear about him practicing singing or listening to david bowie in his house and probably singing along there seems to be some sort of hurting of his family that is happening where he is like, he takes over the living room and they have to get out. <laughs> or <laughs> or he like makes everyone turn out the lights. It sounds like there's a, I feel like I read the stuff over and over again because I can't really figure out. Because there was no way I was going to get my, my two parents to like turn out the light and listen to an album with me. But it sounded like there was like some incidents where he like would turn out the lights and make the whole family sit and in experience. Well, he's saying David Bowie. Or maybe maybe just listening. I don't know. I don't know what was happening. I also think that he would like probably hide out and practice singing. Yeah. A lot of people learn to sing in the car. Oh, and that's yeah. a real thing. Like famous singers, I can't remember Back who. Backseat headrest. They recorded uh, car, into car seat car, headrest, yeah. Car seat headrest, yeah, they totally. Which is a brand like new-ish indie pop band. If you don't know who they are, but he was like a sixteen or seventeen-year-old guy who would record entire albums in his parents' car. It's so quite good, actually. It was really good. It's really good. The best thing I've and heard. I have a hard time generally new music hitting me right away, but it was pretty, pretty yeah. good stuff. And and really letting it rip with the voice. And you could see, oh, I was out in the car in the parking lot in the middle of the night, and I got away with that. But I've heard other people, other singers, learning to sing just belting it out with mm -hmm. their favorite songs in the car and that's how you learn to sing because then you're completely isolated and you can and you don't feel that inhibition and i heard this one woman i always ask people what their strategies are for singing and this one lady um oh, i can't remember her name right now but she's like an acapella folk singer saying that her vocal coach said something like imagine 
I don't know, like a vortex or something, not a vortex, but like, like something opening in the back of your head and like, just like a blinding beam of light, like blasting forth out of your mouth. Like there's a lot of visualization stuff that people do to like Whoa. project. To, and that was actually extremely helpful for me, like, um, to, to visualize. Wow. Well, maybe on the next episode, you can share some of the, the techniques. I'll, that I'll sing for the whole hour. <laughs> It'll be great. So next episode, Watch stay out, tuned. Shane, in addition to finally, and we've had some people asking like, when are you going to get to Les and Will and Pete? Well, they're coming. They are a year older, but we had to start with Ian because he's the frontman. You know, he's We've had like a hundred emails about that. <laughs> there are people like, when are you guys going to start talking about We've less? had one. Okay. Shout out to Celine. Um, and yeah, they want to know. So we'll talk about that. And perhaps Shane <laughs> will sing instead of having music. I'm going to launch answer. my singing career out of this Echo and the Bunnyman podcast. <laughs> yeah. I want to say that it was really fun um, to sing his music for the first time ever in the cover band. Oh, yeah. It was Courtney just, was Ian McCulloch. I was. I'm, I sound Halloween. like a man when I sing. Uh, it, it's like, I'm like. Hopefully, we get some recordings and then we can let you hear a little bit in I'm the next like episode. I'm like Leia and Spaceballs. We need to hunt those down, though. People can, people can listen, though. It'll be great. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, Princess Vespa. Oh, Vespa, excuse me. That's the Leia parody, though. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I. Then she was like, uh, I have a similar read. Nobody knows the <laughs> trouble I've seen. Yeah, that's she, me. She's a bass. Well, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us. And, uh,. Stay tuned next time for more. But wait, I, I don't want it to be over. Listen, just know that we will be returning to this subject. Oh, yeah. In many, many, like I could talk this about him. This never ends. I could talk about him longer than he could talk about himself. I have, a, I bet. But we got to get this episode out. And, All right, yeah. And then we'll just do okay. another episode. And that's yeah. how it goes. Okay. Okay. Write us a letter at podcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, and Twitter. 